ones. I want to prepare your hearts. So uh, if I can have your attention, I'm going to give you uh, a heads up what we're about to read. And I know for some, uh, school just got out. And I know for some of you, school is not. You got one more week. Okay, so we're all still in that headspace of school. So let's do some math. I just want to do some math with you all real quick. Simple math. Uh, and sometimes simple math is the hardest math. All math for me is really hard. So if it's hard for you, you're in great company. Um, I'm terrible at math. But sometimes simple math is hard for everyone. Okay, so let's do some simple math. Young ones, like don't, don't laugh at this. Like seriously, one plus one equals two. Okay, simple, but that is huge. Did y'all know, I'm not going to go off on a rant on this, but have y'all heard about artificial intelligence? They're saying if they can teach artificial intelligence that one plus one, if, if artificial intelligence can figure out one plus one equals two, like that's it. And we're all out of a job. Like it's crazy. Like that simple, profound stuff. One plus one equals two is crazy. Okay. We've been talking about this baby Jesus uh, all Advent, all Christmas time, talking about Jesus and the incarnation, which is about God becoming man. That word incarnation is, is just a word that means enfleshing. So it's God enfleshing, uh, taking on a human nature. So let's do our math. What is, what is one divine nature plus one human nature? What does that equal? Oh, I'm hearing it. Say it. One divine nature plus one human nature equals Jesus. That is the best answer. Yes. And it's not two people. It's one person. One human nature plus one divine nature. That equals one person, Jesus, who is fully God, fully man. How does that math work out? It's divine math. I don't know. But here's what we do know. Jesus is not, he's not a mixture of human and divine. Like Jesus being God is not like pouring chocolate into milk and then stirring it up and mixing it all up. And now you've got, Jesus isn't chocolate milk, okay? Uh, Jesus was truly a man, and yet he did not stop being what he always was, which is God. So when the Son of God became man, he didn't become some other thing like you mix some blue divinity with some yellow of humanity and you get what? Green something. No, he's not a mixture of things. He is fully God and fully man. It is crazy. Like This is the crazy awesomeness of the incarnation and it's mysterious and it's good. You know, kind of the how. How did this all happen is one big question. And then there's the why. Like Why? Did God become man? And that one's really, really important. God himself had to become a man because only God could be born without sin. And what we need, Jesus has to be sinless if he's going to die for our sins and beat our sin and beat our death. And here's the awesome news about the incarnation. God had to become a man to save us, but God did not have to come to save us. He could have let us die forever and ever and ever. We don't deserve salvation. This is what we're going to read today about Mary. This is what the angel is going to tell Mary herself. We don't deserve it. And the good, that may sound like, well, that's kind of awful. No, the, that's the good news of the gospel is God chose to send his son for you. The son willingly came all out of grace in order to live and die for you. That's the good news of Christmas. 
And this is what we're asking ourselves uh, each week this Advent is, just think of like, whose child is this? Who, whose son and, and who cares? Like, what does Christmas have, you know, the stuff that we celebrate, like, what's it got to do with me tomorrow? We want to ask that. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be, call, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, so <clears throat> what child is this? Well, he's the son of God. And he's the son of the Virgin Mary. Which is crazy because that means God was born. But, but, we don't mean God as God was born. We don't mean the divine nature was born. That's impossible. God as God has no beginning. God has always been, okay? And, and Mary gave birth to God. Mary is the mother of God. Now, here's what we do mean. Uh, this uh, fourth century theologian, Hilary of uh, Poitiers, uh, he got the mystery of the incarnation. He got it really well uh, when he said this, in the incarnation, the son of God did not lose what he was, but began to be what he was not. He did not cease to possess his own nature, but received what was our nature. That is, in the incarnation, the son of God became what he was not without ceasing to be what he was. He became, he became what he was not. He became a man who knew pain, who had to take a nap, a baby who had to be fed, who had to be cared for by uh, his mom and, and Joseph. How, it's that thing, like, how, did, how does God get thirsty? How does God get sad? How does God get hurt? How does God feel pain? How does God take a nap? Only in the incarnation. The Son of God really, really became a man who could do the most ungodlike thing possible. He could die. Because he really, really became enfleshed, like sinews and skin and organs and bone and hair and teeth and joints. He became one of us. And Jesus was God. Now I know, I know let me say, I know 
our Advent series has stretched us, has twisted our brains into pretzels. One of y'all said that. Has just gone over our heads kind of stuff. And me too. So much of this is awesome mystery. And, and, and so much of it is just awesome uh, God stuff. And I know, I know the good desire to keep things simple. That's good. Know the good desire to be uh, as clear as possible. Absolutely. Certainly. And then there is the temptation with all this hard stuff. The temptation comes in to flatten mystery, to refuse to go deep. When things get, when things get hard, this kind of theology and this kind of doctrine and this kind of teaching, when this stuff gets hard and it starts to make less and less sense uh, just on the surface, we, we, move, we have a temptation to move away from it. And then what happens then is our faith becomes this opiate, becomes like this drug, uh, a winsome drug that we just want that makes us feel good and safe. And, and we all know that temptation, every one of us. And throughout church history, there have been movements within the church to move away from the historical Jesus because this stuff is just too crazy. It's too hard. It's too much. The historical Jesus, what, the, what movements throughout church history have said is the historical Jesus, that's not important What's important is the Christ of faith. But if we sever the Christ of faith from the historical Jesus, then that Christ of faith, he could be almost anything. And inevitably what he will become is this savior that looks just like me or looks just the way I want him to look. And then he's not a savior. Uh, 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 Paul David Tripp, Paul Tripp, uh, he was an author, counselor. He is an author, counselor, churchman. He said this once. He said, we should all be deconstructing our faith in the sense of examining it, in the sense of always going deeper. He says, we should all be, de- we should all be deconstructing our faith or we become loyal to the culture. We lose our way. We become harmful to the church. Then the world rightly mocks us as hypocrites and people walk away from the church and our leaders fall away and ministries explode. We've got to do that for self-reflection thing of taking a step back and asking the hard questions. Is this the gospel that we're talking about and holding out? The incarnation of God becoming a man, it is a riddle. And that said... (laughs) <laughs> this, is, this is a good turn, I think. Uh, that said, the big question with the incarnation is not just how. It's also why. And this also tells us right here why the Son of God became a man. And the answer is profound, and it is simple. And it, it's in Jesus' name. And all of us think names are pretty important. Uh, a, 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 man named Dale, a man named Dale Carnegie was one of the original motivational speakers of the 20th century. He changed his last name uh, to match the spelling of a certain steel magnet tycoon, some guy named Andrew Carnegie, uh, to whom he was actually not related because he knew names are important. And he wrote one of the bestsellers of all time, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And in it, he said this. He said, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. It's why it's so embarrassing when you get someone's name wrong uh, or you can't remember that someone's name, but they use your name and they keep using your name to see if you'll actually either get their name wrong or admit you don't know their name. 
uh, it's, you know, or someone keeps calling you by your wife's name, even though in your humble opinion, your name is the more masculine of the two. <laughs> Happens to all of us. One reason we probably forget uh, names is because our names in English really don't mean much. They actually do. All our names mean something. We've, we've done this before with the kids. Uh, but, but, I mean, like, unless your name is Frank or Grace, like, you know, what does your name mean? You got to go look it up kind of thing. But back in the Bible, their names were really obvious. They had really obvious meanings. And the name Jesus, it means something. There are only a few divine birth announcements and all the Bible, like the angel coming and giving this like birth announcement. You only see that a few times in scripture, only a couple times in the Old Testament, only a couple times in the New Testament with Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, So when you see those big flashing signal, like, hey, pay attention, pay attention. This is big. Something big is happening. The angel shows up with this divine birth announcement and tells Mary to name her miracle baby Jesus. And we saw this last Sunday when that same angel goes uh, later, he's going to go to Joseph and give Joseph the big news, too, about this miracle baby. And there in Matthew 1.21, he says, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. Which is, it, 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 the name Jesus, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew name, which Jesus, actually the Greek, Greek version is Jesus. Uh, that's just the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, which is actually pronounced Yeshua. Uh, the same, like Jesus, Joshua, they mean the same thing. They mean the Lord saves. And we know this, that this name was actually a really, really common name in the Old Testament in the first century, super common name, which maybe sounds like a Debbie. When I first heard that, I was like, ah, oh, such a Debbie. Like, I want Jesus' name to be like unique. But there's meaning there too. there's meaning there of, remember the most famous Joshua before this Jesus, Joshua, Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua, that guy was Moses' right-hand man. So there was Moses, and then his successor was this guy, Joshua. God chose Joshua to be Moses' successor when Moses died, and Joshua was amazing. He was this incredible leader. His original name, though, was not Joshua, it was Hosea. And that name means he saves. And right before Hosea is about to lead the Israelites into the promised land, Moses changes his name. And it's like he says this, basically. He says, listen, Hosea, you, you're super awesome. Like, you're actually a little too awesome. And if you lead the Israelites into the promised land uh, with a name like he saves, everyone's going to be tempted to think that you're the he who saves, not God. It's going to be like this. Someone's going to ask, hey, Israel, like who miraculously parted the Jordan River? And, and who, uh, like, who miraculously took down the walls of Jericho? Like who defeated all those mighty, numerous Canaanite armies? And, and, and people are going to say, oh, well, that's easy. That would be our general, Hosea. He saved us. And Moses is saying that would be really, 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 really bad. So we're changing your name. So right before Moses dies and Israel goes into the promised land, he changes his name from Hosea, which means he saves, to Joshua, which means the Lord saves. That way when everyone asks Israel who did this, they'll say, the Lord. It was the Lord who did it. So why is this baby in Matthew 1 named Jesus, a.k.a. Joshua? It's so that when people look at this baby who grows up to be their leader, uh, the leader of his people, and they speak his name, they know his name points to the Savior, who is God, 
who is him. It's a, this name is actually a self-referential name. That's the big difference between Joshua of the Old Testament and Jesus of Joshua of the New Testament. This baby, he's got a name that, self, that refers to himself. He is the Lord. He is the Lord who saves. You know, Joshua leading his people through those wars, leading them into the promised land. At some point, every single one of those Israelites died. That promised land was not the final thing. It pointed to the final thing. And the angel comes and says, yeah, this one, name this miracle baby Jesus. The Lord saves because this baby will save their people, his people from their sins, from death, into that eternal promised land. The, the angel says this miracle baby is the one who's going to Jesus his people. So name him Jesus. And naming this baby Jesus also names the rest of us. Uh, the name of Jesus doesn't just, doesn't just tell you who the baby is. It tells you who everyone else is. Jesus was born in the world to save sinners. He was born in the world to save us from our sins. That's who you are. The one who needs to be saved from sins. Your name is Sinner. And that's a Christian thing. That's exclusively a Christian thing. Uh, you know, what is sin to someone who has no need of Jesus? It's offensive. Let's just say it's weird. Like you go down that road, it's creepy if you take it really, really seriously and believe it because rejoice and love yourself today because, baby, you're born this way. And that thing of nobody is perfect, and then we correct that and we say, you're perfect just the way you are. Don't ever change for anybody. That is what the world tells us. That is what we hear all the time, every day. And, and that idea, by the way, that's not a new idea. There's a phrase you have all heard. Uh, you've all heard this before. Sometimes it's attributed, it's really old. Sometimes it's attributed to Seneca, the younger, Livy, Cicero, Euripides, this thing of to err is human. To err is human. Okay, that's not true. We were not created to be fallen. We were not created to be sinners. Adam and, Adam and Eve were created good, without sin. Jesus is fully man, and he is without sin. And he came, he came to take away our sin, is it, would it have been, here's a question, would it have been necessary for the Son of God to become incarnate if man had not sinned? No. The only reason the Son of God became incarnate was because of our sin. This, this right here, what Christmas, what Christmas celebrates, is this what we're saying, God taking on flesh? This is what God thinks my life requires? Nothing less than Jesus to come and live and die for me to save me from my sins. God had to take on human flesh and live for me and be crucified and die for my sins. Yes, because you are a sinner. Which gets, you know, that raises that question of, this is a big one. What is our biggest problem today? You know, you think of all the hate, all the suspicion, all the fighting all the death, all the destruction out in the world, in our own lives, these opposing political convictions on the way forward for our country, energy, inflation, the border, the economy, cancer, another pandemic, unemployment, underemployment, supply chain, broken families, 
loneliness, abused kids, abused adults, busyness, uh, overcommitment, anxiety, stress, depression, horrific, horrific murders and, and assaults, sweatshops, slavery, sex trafficking, greed, corruption, war, it just the the biggest perversions of justice and truth by those who have the most power and influence and that is happening everywhere and it is true you know we we could go on and on and on and it's true things could get worse and it's true it's already way worse than any of us think and the news this angel brings is not minimizing What he says here is not minimizing the stuff that you are going through. And every single one of you is going through stuff. And this word about saving us from our sins, it is not a platitude. This is not a cliche. What is killing us right now and what will destroy us forever is sin. So what are we supposed to do with that? We're supposed to submit to this news about Jesus and submit to this news about you and me, about us. Because you, you, you think about this, and this is, you know, at this time when, you know, we want to be all full of joy and, and everything be bright. The birth of Jesus, it brought disgrace to Mary and Joseph, and it brought disgrace to Jesus. Because Jesus' miraculous birth was a scandal. So, let's do look at Mary. Like, look at Mary. Mary is free to tell everyone uh, about this angel and this news and this pregnancy, and everyone is still going to assume she's an adulteress. Or she's covering up a transgression, sinful transgression with Joseph before their wedding day with this most ridiculous of stories. And Mary submits. And her submission is not, it's just not a, sure, I can buy that. It costs her to believe this. And y'all have got to hear this. Mary, she's not extraordinary. Mary is not sinless. Mary, y'all, please hear me. Mary is nobody special. Mary is not a repository of grace, which she is then free to distribute to the needy of the world. Mary is a sinner too. Mary is in desperate need of grace. And Mary is gifted that grace. Mary is gifted that gift. That's what the angel means when he says, you have found favor with God. Mary has done nothing to merit the favor of God. And so in all the ancient cathedrals, where Mary is the most prominent, uh, in the most prominent spot, statues of Mary, paintings of Mary, Mary everywhere, Mary is not great. And I'm not, I, this is, I'm not insulting Mary. I, I'm not mocking Mary she would say the same thing, and she will tell us the same thing in heaven one day. Mary gets the gospel of Jesus because Mary gets that she is a sinner in need of her miracle baby to save her. In just a few verses, we didn't read this, but in just a few verses, Mary uh, is going to start singing a song that she wrote, and here's what she's going to sing. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She gets what the gospel is and what it is not. The gospel is not the good get in and the bad don't. The gospel is, it's about the bad who know their need and believe Jesus meets that need. 
And then there are the bad who deny their need, and so they don't believe that Jesus meets it. The gospel is, all there is, is bad, guilty, corrupt. There are no bad and good. There are no corrupt and pure. There are no guilty and innocent. All there is in the world, all there has ever been since the fall, are guilty and corrupt people. There are these lists. There are these lists that come out every year. Uh, everybody's got different lists, but there are these lists that come out about every year uh, about people who have, quote, fallen from grace. You can go look this up. Uh, and it's always about celebrities, because that's who we care about. So 2023, we're not quite done yet, so that list isn't done. Uh, but 2022 list of people who have fallen from grace. Here are some of the people that are included. Uh, Elon Musk, Aaron Rodgers, Will Smith, Amber Heard, Kanye West, all fallen from grace, which is a total non-sequitur. Like, it tastes like somebody stole my wallet. Like, it doesn't make sense. They didn't fall from grace. They fell from merit. They are now, they are now, those people are now probably closer to grace than they have ever been in their lives. Because grace is only for those who have fallen. They're no good and bad. There are the bad who are proud and arrogant, who are mighty and rich in their self-sufficiency and deny their need and trust their own self-sufficiency. And then there are the bad, there are the bad who know they're needy. And they run to Jesus like Mary. Then the nicest person, then you know, don't say it out loud, but just think in your head, the nicest person you know is just as broken as the prostitute. The most moral person you know is just as in is in just as much need as the murderer. And the bad people who are humble and hungry for help and salvation, the gospel is a savior has miraculously come for you. And it's Jesus, Mary's baby. And for you and for me to submit to this uh, means that we believe this stuff about us. And so ask yourself, and this is one of those like, well, yeah, yeah, but really stop. Because later today and tomorrow and the next day, you are going to struggle with this question. So I want you to think about it now. Do you believe that this gospel of eternal salvation, that God's favor, that God's grace, do you believe it's for bad people? Do you believe it's for people you do not like? Do you believe it is for people who do not share your political convictions? Do you believe it is for people who don't like what you like? Do you believe it for it, that it's for other people at work? It's that it's for your neighbor, that it's for people who live in your neighborhood and for people who do not live in your neighborhood and for people who do not live in your country? Do you believe the gospel is for people who would kill you if they were given the chance to do it? And now this, okay? What about your greatest enemy, which is you? This is perhaps even more difficult at times. This is what you will struggle with later today. You will struggle with this tomorrow. Do you believe the gospel is for you? Do you believe God favors you? with his grace? Do you believe that you were once an enemy of Jesus, but not anymore? Do you believe that Jesus can save you from all your sins? 
And I mean, if, you ha- if, you ha- if you're here, if you have taken a life, if you have destroyed someone financially, if you've destroyed a family, if you've abused alcohol, sex, drugs, if you have abused other people, friends, family, every form of fear and pride, hatred and selfishness and arrogance, do you believe that Jesus can save you from your sins? Your past, your present, your future, because, loved ones, you are not done sinning. Do you believe this gospel is for you? Uh, The gospel is good news when we are confronted with uh, the harsh and and the terrible and offensive reality that we are sinners in need of grace. Christianity is boring when we think we're good people. And here's, here's the thing, a sinner is not your full name. Because of Jesus, you are saved sinner. And that changes everything. Yes, Jesus has been born uh, uh, to live and to die to save you from your sins. But, but don't you see what that says about you? You are, the, you are the one that God loves so much that he sent his own son to live and to die for you so that you can be with him forever. That's who you are. You're the one Jesus loves so much, he willingly came and gave up everything, even his own life, to die for you. Now, the other, the, the, the other way that we can go about, and we can do this in the church, the other way we can try to name ourselves is with our goodness, uh, of like, I'm a, I'm a good person, I try to be a good person. But, but then there's that other part of us that deep, deep down feels terrible and shame uh, about ourselves. I feel guilty, I feel dirty, I'm, I'm unworthy of anyone's love and, and approval, much less God's. So we name ourselves good sinner. I'm a good sinner. And then we, we get schizophrenic and we despair that God couldn't really love us, that you're not worth his, his life and his death. You're not worth his grace. That is not who you are. You're not good sinner. You are saved sinner. You're not worthy of God's favor and love. That's grace. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the gospel of Jesus. Dale Carnegie was wrong. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. No, erroneous. For the Christian, the sweetest and most important sound in any language is not our own name. It is the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, bless us to continue to turn away from our sin and to turn to our Lord and Savior and to worship him and to worship his name. We pray that you would continue to love us and bless us to love one another, to hold out that grace and to remind each other of that grace, of your favor upon each of us because of Jesus. And bless us with that grace to then go out to those who are perishing, who are dying without it, that they too would know there is a Savior, only one, and he's for them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Loved ones, look